we're midway through um, Colossians, mid, mid to end, A Place in the Sun is our series, Colossians, A New View uh, for an Old City. I hold the view that all scriptures God breathed. Here at Christchurch, we hold, a, I don't know, hold the high view of the Bible. But this particular passage, where we are in these letters of Paul, Colossians, particularly useful to us as Christians. It's the first time, think about the big storyline in the Bible, it's the first time we actually really read about any. There's a book of Acts, I guess, but we'll go right the way from the Old, the Old Testament. These, these people searching out for the unknown God, there's this whole storyline, then Jesus comes in the Gospels. But then in these letters that Paul writes, and they repeat some of the messages, which is interesting, we find out about regular Christians like us, and we find out about the problems that they have. And I'm going to use this passage, or I'm going to let this passage speak, that's probably a better way to look at it, uh, to bring out two truths that religious people, Christian people, people that go to church struggle with. First one is living, living a good life. Living the good life. We struggle with this. How do we, how do, we do this? And the second one, and this is the thing that we really mess up, not you, we, the church, for 2,000 years, we really mess this up, is how do we pass this on to anybody else? How do we, how, do, how without sounding like holy Joes, or without sounding like people detached from the world, how do we pass this on? So the first one is to pad it out a bit. How do we live a good life? How do we avoid the sin screw up? This Practicing this faith, I think, is daunting at any, any stage of life. Whether you're a new Christian starting out, looking at what lies in front of you, thinking, how am I going to... I see this calling in front of me. I see this God. I found him. I see what this book drives me towards. I see what other Christians look like. And you're looking at it and you go, how on earth am I going to do this? But let me reassure you that if you've been a Christian a bit longer down the line, you don't look at it with any less fear, so to speak. As a Christian of 20 years, I still look at it and think, how am I, how am I still making the same mistakes as that 17-year-old lad trying to find his way? How am I still stubborn? How am I still proud? How am I still messing up? So, it's always going to be hard. We're going to open that up a little bit. But the second thing, and I think this is maybe the big thing for us, is how do we tell others about this amazing thing that's happened to us? How do, we, how do we share this without stuffing it up? How do we talk to people about this awesome news that we have? Advice is this thing that it's like it's critical to human progress, isn't it? The idea of advice. Somebody knows some stuff. This is, this is how we've gone on for thousands of years. One person knows some stuff, and they can pass it on to the next person, and then they know some stuff. That's how advice works. It's this brilliant, essential, innate part of our humanity. And yet, it's like awesome, but at the same time, it's this difficult area for us as human beings. It's fraught with trouble, is giving advice. Have you ever, you ever been in that spot? Have you ever found that? You know that it's, you know some stuff, you know that it's essential, you see somebody else, you think, they need to know the stuff that I know. They could really use to know this stuff. This could really help them out. But you kind of in that moment where you think, but if I tell them, have you ever had anybody say to you, and I get this, I get, I have this particularly with cars because I'm useless with cars and I appear like an idiot and people sort of respond to me appearing like an idiot. Somebody come up to you and say, let me give you a little piece of advice. 
You know, they raise their hand in that way, don't they? So you, you ever, let me just give you a little, and they, and they say the thing. And, and, and really what they're saying to you is, I'm a better human being than you. I, I am doing better at life than you. I've got more. And what happens in the, in the, in the advice moment is what's happened to them is, and this is why it's so tricky, their egos shot up like that. It's ruining them. And it's just broken my heart. My ego's crushed in two. This is what happens, isn't it? You see, you think, should I give this piece of advice to this person? Should I share this with them? And then you think, should, should, I, should I go for that? And our ego, you know, all the time, our ego is at risk either way, whether we're giving the advice or whether we're receiving this, this advice. It's a really tricky thing to get right. And, and then there's the other thing. We, we might be giving the wrong advice, particularly as Christians. We might just know the wrong stuff. We might go to the wrong end of the stick, and we might be telling everybody this piece of advice and leading everybody down the garden path. It's a really tricky thing, and it's something that Christians, I think, and I've... Don't, I, know, I don't hesitate to say it's something that, we've, that we struggle with. Something that we really struggle to do. And it's, it's, I've got sympathy for us because it's tricky. We have amazing, awesome, brilliant news. We know this holy God. How do you tell people that? How do you, how do you share that? You know, we've, we've had our hearts changed inside out, kind of. We know real forgiveness. We've got some weird kind of joy that you can't even really explain. How do, you, how do you tell somebody that without sounding weird or different or whatever else it is? It's so tricky. Our advice sometimes as Christians can appear really disconnected from everybody else. You ever find that? Did you see, let me pat it out a bit, did you see the interview with Jacob Rees-Mogg recently? Did you see him give the interview about the Grenfell Tower? Anybody see that? few people saw that. It was hard to watch, wasn't it? Really hard to watch. He sort of suggested, and I think he slipped over his words, but he said it. If, if you people in Grenfell had a bit more common sense, like, like me, if you had had my background and my education, you'd have realized when people told you to stay in those rooms, you should have just ignored them and you should have run down. And you watch that, don't you? When you see that, when you see this guy, this privileged man give these the people who face real difficulties when, he, you know, when they miss the point that much you see that and you just have kind of horror and yet sometimes as Christians I reckon to people looking in we, we sound like that we have this immense privilege and no matter how hard we want to break it down and you must, you must have seen it you must have seen sometimes songs of praise sometimes people giving sermons probably sometimes me at the front, maybe even Paul, and when you just, we, we get it so badly wrong and we're so condescending and so in a different place that doesn't connect with the world. It's so, our news, here's what I'd say to you, our news is so good. What has happened, if you've got faith, is so awesome. If it's real, it's so awesome. It's critical that we figure out how to give advice well. It's critical that we figure that out and stop blowing it. So this passage is going to do that two ways. So we're going to see how on earth we live this good life and how we might give advice uh, well. So let's read through the passage together. I would invite you to like pour over this. Don't, don't trust. Love me and you know, enjoy the anecdotes and be challenged by what I've got to say, but trust that. Like Hang on to that. Hang on to verse by verse of that. Pour over that. Don't just let me away with it. Hold on to it. 
Okay, let's read it together. Verse 16, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that are to come. The reality is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. At the moment, it's, maybe it's sounding a bit alien to you. We're going to bring it back, don't worry. But hold on to the words, valuable words. Such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head. Paul's, Paul loves to make, throw some crazy metaphors in, and you've really got to read between the lines, try and get to the bottom of it. They have lost connection with, not their head, the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as, it cause, as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ, to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, they've got an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any real value in restraining sensual indulgence. What does that mean? What does all that mean? Let's have a look at it. The first thing we're going to learn from that passage, thinking about how you live a good life, how you avoid, how we look out at this Christian world and avoid just falling into sin over and over again. How might we do that? How might we go about that? But the first thing that we see is it's not, and I think this is, I think this is where the Bible gets really radical. I think this is where we see it as a really different way of living from everything else out there. It's not by focusing on what you've done or you can do. I think that's, in terms of living a good life, that is radical news because that's how pretty much the whole world is shaped. You point to what you've done. If you're having an argument and you're trying to prove you're right, you point to the things that you've done or you point to the things that you're going to do. So you see that particularly in marriage. You go, well, I did all this and I'm going to do this. That's, that's, this is the frame of reference. It's we focus on what we have done. It makes loads of sense to us as human beings to focus on what we have done. But here, I think we see that it's not living a good life is not focusing on what you've done or can, can do. There was, let's just explore what was going on in Colossae. There was all sorts happening in Colossae at this time. This, you've got this bunch of Colossian Christians who are saved by faith in Christ. They're on this journey, and you've got this legacy of Hebrew Christians who pass on the wisdom that's been built up over a thousand years or so. And they're passing it on and passing it on, and they're saying, sure, you've started on this really lovely journey. It's great to see, good for you, but here's a bunch of stuff that you're gonna really need if you really wanna connect with God. And it was things like eating certain foods in specific ways. You can see it there in the text. Keeping festivals. So you've got these, these new Christians making their way right out of nowhere. They're, they're getting information from this other bunch of people saying these, there's a load of other stuff that you want to do. One of, the things, one of the things that they were asked to do that the Jews celebrated, one of these festivals was the Festival of Tabernacles. Festival of Tabernacles is one of the coolest things I can think of. It's a really cool festival. Basically, you put a little a temporary shelter on your roof and you live up there for a week and you remember about all the 
Does it sound cool to you? It sounds cool to me. You, live, you think about all, all, all the, the Jewish people would think about the way that God has protected them in that time. And you're more, you're more vulnerable to the elements, so you get a real sense of God's protection and God's need. And you've got these new Christians in Colossae saying, what? what you want me to, imagine, some, imagine me one Sunday, or Paul one Sunday, get something said, oh, this is what I want you to do this week. See that house you've got. I want you to get some sticks. Sticks. Wood from the, from the backyard. I want you to make a little house and put it on your roof. You go, what? Where, where, where are you going with this? And this is what was being put on, put on them. And they weren't, and this is the thing, they weren't, the, the Jewish influence wasn't just saying, this is going to be helpful for you, or this is going to be good fun, or it's going to be educational. This is where the error was. They were saying, this is really how you get to God. This is really how you stay near God. This work, this action will draw you nearer to God. And you say to yourself, it's okay, Ash. I think, I think I'm okay so far because at no point in my life have I felt the need to or instructed any of my Christian friends to put a house on their roof or become circumcised or any of this other stuff or keep the Sabbath in any particular way. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm good. I feel like you can move on to the next point. I think we all of us put weight in different ways on the things that we've done to exert to put us above other people i think that we all do that in christian life in life itself we all look at the works we've done and put real weight into them and we are, even as we think about our faith and what it means even as we think about that we some of the things that we hold on to that we think is keeping us that we think's really saving us is our attendance and that we're a bit better than somebody else down the street. We hold on to this stuff. And this is what this passage takes. Paul, Paul, Paul radically, I think, and brutally to us, he destroys that and he says, that, all that stuff that you think is really important, all this work that you kind of build your faith around, that's just a shadow of what's to come. That's just the time, that's just, can't look around for a shadow, that's just the that's that when you could have that. Do you know what I mean? That person there. It's just the tiniest glimpse. Now, I love, as much as the next man, I love shadow puppetry. Love it. Yeah, probably, probably more than is okay for a 40-year-old man. Probably, actually. My kids have passed that being a point of entertainment for them. Yeah, I can still get a big kick out of it. I love walking down the street and watch, in a very simple way, watching my own shadow. But to think... Think, think that the people that you love, that you never, got to, you never got to see the reality of them ever again, you only ever saw their shadow. That's like a horror story, isn't it? You'd be like, no, I can't cope with that. That's nothing. I need to see the reality. I need to see the person. And that's what Paul is saying it looks like. If you hold on, if you accept Christ as your Savior and all the great stuff that comes with him, and you go, do you know what, actually... I'm going to put all my efforts into my works. I'm going to put all my values into them. I don't want to be too brutal, but I reckon we do that. I reckon I do that sometimes. What really saves me, what I think really saves me a lot of the time is how often I can come here, the works that I've done, how good a person I am. And Paul, Paul says to us, he says, man, he said, you've got the love of Jesus Christ. You've got the love of an unconditional God behind you. You've been changed by that. Jesus died, came back to life. You've got hope that we can't even speak about, and you're practicing this faith, hanging on to doing some good stuff. I said, that's you know, fair enough. 
do some good stuff, but this, this is the, really, this is the thing that you could really shape your life around. Good life will flow from someone moved by unconditional love. Get, get, getting grace is a bit like, it's a bit like being given a superpower. Imagine getting a, how awesome would that be? I still dream a little bit about that every now and again. Imagine getting a superpower, but then spending the rest of your days doing croquet to a good standard. It's, 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 like, it's like that big of a misuse of your time. Do you know what I mean? Imagine you've got this superpower, you think, I'm going to croquet the heck out of this. I'm going to croquet for three weeks because I've got this superpower. It's such a waste, such a misuse of the gift that you've been given. If you're still not, if you're still not with me, think, think about it like this. Take this illustration. Imagine, imagine you work for, um, a, imagine you work in Xscape. Imagine you work here. You rock up to Xscape every day, and there's a little mantra on the wall before you rock up to work with the rules of how you live and how you could operate in Xscape on the side of it. You know, you must smile at everybody. You must have a jolly disposition. You must have this. You must, you must appear joyful. You must go the extra mile. Otherwise, you may be dismissed. So imagine, imagine you had that. That was your day at work. Or on the way through the doors into Xscape, you had what we really want you to remember is that, is that you are dearly and unconditionally valued and loved by this team. And don't forget your friends and family at home love you in that way too. Which, which set of directions do you think would get the best day's work out of you? This is what, this is the love that we have. When we, when we spend all our time, and I think we do, focusing on the works, we just miss it. We just don't grab the good life. If we focus on what Jesus has done, if that is the story that moves us, then we'll really get it. That's the first, that's the first one. It's not by focusing on what you do or can do. Second one, it's not by searching for an extra mystical or magical experience. It's not by rooting around for that. So read the text with me. Read through verse 18. That's what was going on here in Colossae. A little bit. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. This, this bunch at Colossi almost We've been, we're in that spot where they were thinking, right, we've got this, what, what's next? How do I, what's the next thing? They were kind of holding out for more. Amongst the things that they were doing, they'd, they'd heard about the great visions of these prophets in the Old Testament, and they were like, that sounds like where it's at to me. I want a vision like that. I want a vision like Ezekiel had. I want this strong picture in my mind. And they were, they were taking that idea, and then they were trying to get it. Not really by walking with God. They were self-abasing themselves. That's almost certainly not a term. They were kind of beating themselves up, starving themselves to death to try and get some kind of heavenly, spiritual, magical vision. And again, perhaps you're thinking to yourself, so far so good. I feel like I'm all right. I've not, 
I quite enjoy my food. I've not starved myself in the hope of some mystical vision. This passage, I don't think, I don't think it's beating people up on holding out for something dramatic happening by the Holy Spirit. I don't think we should give up hoping for that. But it is beating up on people who miss Jesus because they just want a high. Or a high has become the way that they get through life. And I think, and we read about the way that it happens in Colossae and you think, oh, I'm, I'm safe from any of that. That's probably not going to happen in my life. I'm not going to, self-abasement isn't for me. But that idea that, that was underneath it, that they were trying to get a high, that they were like, man, I just need the next thing to get me through this. Modern life is so about the high, isn't it? It's just, can I get something awesome? Can I watch something awesome? Can I experience something awesome? Just to distract me from everyday life. And Christianity, Christian life can often be like that. We can often, we can often become like that. Kind of we, look, we come to church and we go, I just, I want a high. You know, I want a pick-me-up. I want a sugar hit, spiritual sugar hit, just to get me through the next week. The thing with that, I think, for us as Christians, is somewhere down the line, and the Colossians would have experienced this and this, somewhere down the line, when it's, the, when it's those sort of spiritual high, sugar hit, Christian highs that get you through, somewhere down the line that's going to trip up. Somewhere down the line that's going to fall out for you. Somewhere down the line that's not going to cut it. And at the heart of this book of Colossians, there's this beautiful encouragement from Paul to say to the people who want the little high to get them through week by week, must get my Christian fix, must get a little bit of a high. He says to the church at Colossae, he says, You've, the great thing that can happen in the Christian life, you have. You already have that. The forgiveness of a holy and perfect God in Christ, the miracle you already have within you. I, I think a great thing for us to think about because faith gets really complicated, and we end up searching for the next bit of a high to get us through, is to think about how, if you're saved, if you're a Christian, that first moment when that story made sense, to get back to that, to spend some time thinking that, I think so easily we move away, we forget this place of that story. I'm forgiven by a great God. And we end up just looking for the next high, the next big mystical thing. Those two things. It's not by searching for an extra magical experience. And it's not by focusing on what you can or can't do. But there is a, there is a good life out there for us. The next bit, the tricky bit, if, if we've grasped some of this stuff, how, how do we tell anybody about this? How without sounding detached... How without sounding rude, how without sounding like a holy jaw, how do we get any of this message across? How do people hear about this? How do we talk about this to our neighbors and our friends? The point of the story in, in Colossae, as this young church grows up, is the point of the story when, and this is a bit like what it's like when you've got a friend, you, you, a couple of weeks you'll get to know them, and then they feel like it's the point that they can invest in you and give you some advice. Do you know what I mean? You have friends like that, you think, I've known you for long enough, now I'm going to give you some advice. This is, this is kind of like what it's like in their Christian journey. They've gone along so long, and now people are start telling each other how to live. The, the, the first, first couple of things I'd want you to know about this, if you, particularly if you're a new Christian, is be prepared 
for the Christian advice that will come. Be prepared for the floods of Christian advice that will come. Like, and when I look back at the story of Colossi, Paul only picks up on the bad stuff. I'm sure within that, there was loads of good advice for the church at Colossi. I'm sure, I'm sure these well-meaning Hebrews were giving great advice out. I'm sure there was lots of good stuff about this holy God that they didn't know about, but Paul doesn't pick up on that. The other thing, if you're an older Christian, think, think about advice. No, not just if you're an older Christian. If you're a Christian, full stop. If you're a, if you're a Christian who's speaking into people's lives, really think about the advice that you're giving them. Don't just neglect, don't just throw stuff out there. Really think about the advice that you're giving them. That's the first thing. There's going to be advice. How we deal with it is important. Second thing, dishing out your own wisdom can be corrosive for you. Not just for the person that you're dishing it out to. Dishing out your own wisdom, giving the advice, might end up being difficult for you. It might wreck your personality a little bit. Read through 18 and 19 again with me. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from which the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. This is summarize kind of what's happened in this circumstance, what Paul's writing into. Somebody that's disconnected from God gives advice out that's not from God, but from their own learnings. And at the end of it, they've got, Paul uses the language of puffed up mind. They've got a big head. That's what happened. You could maybe look at it the other way around. I'm not sure which comes first. It's a bit chicken and egg, at least for me, this passage. I don't know when I read this, if perhaps the big head comes first, and then the big head comes, and then they're detached from God, and then they give the bad advice. Have you ever, have you ever been in the position, so I've been, as a stubborn, proud man, I've been here loads, where I start off, particularly in people that are close to me, marriage, kids, friends, I, my advice at the start is coming from a pretty, pretty good place, I think. It's right. And then... This is definitely my disease. And then my ego kicks in. Then my head gets inflated. And it becomes way less about the advice I'm given. And it becomes more about me. And my ego in this is so inflated that my advice, any advice I'm given, ceases to be about God at all. It's just about me. And, and, I've co- and, and, and in letting myself get a big head, I've, I've come away from where God is. And that's what's going on in this passage. That's what he's describing. He said, these people are disconnected from the head. If they're with the head, then this is going to be a healthy thing. This is going to be a good thing. But if you get disconnected from the head, then you're giving advice about something else. And if you keep on giving advice about something else, then there's a risk that you're going to get a big head with all this. I think some of the advice here is... Be careful with your advice tricky because the moments where we get to interact with people we're all on the hoof the chances you've got to say anything about your faith or a moral issue are all on the hoof aren't they they're all thrown at you 
I think the wisdom here is, man, be careful with this. Be careful for your own sakes. Watch out that you've not got a big head. Watch out that you're still connected to the body. It's so critical for the world to listen to us. And it's, and it's so critical that they listen that we stay humble. And in order for our advice to be humble advice, we're going to have to be in a walk and a relationship with God. That's the second thing. Dishing out your own wisdom can be corrosive. The third thing and the last thing. And this, and this re- really challenges in our daily walk. It really challenges the way we go about life. It really challenges us because we're really visceral people. Human beings see what's in front of us. This is the last one. Good advice stems from a concern at a deeper level. Giving good advice, being able to tell people about this awesome joy that we have comes from a concern for people at a deeper level. Read through with me, 20 um, to 23. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Paul Paul pulls this whole bunch of people together here. the, the trouble that Colossae is having, the people that are advocating works, saying that's the way to go. The people that are looking for this mystical experience to get them over the line, he calls them into the picture. The people who are promoting self-abasement, the people are saying, you need something extra mystical to happen to you. And he says, he says to them all, he, says, I can, he lets them have it, he says, I can, there's human wisdom in what you're doing. There's a bit of wisdom in that. From a human perspective, I can really see why you might do that. But this passage has two really helpful insights for us, I think. It says to us, no amount of external superficial actions, no amount of works can affect what's deep inside. And that's what needs to be changed. Do you see how graphic Paul gets at the end of the text? Do you see how he doesn't let you away with not reading it. You see the language that he uses? Last verse. Such regulations indeed have appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. I don't know if that's the thing that was going on at this time. I don't know if that was what their problem was, but it feels to me like you can't read past it. He's sort of saying to you, we all know what we're like inside. We all know actually We all know actually no matter how hard we physically try to do something through our works, that actually reaching into what's deep inside of us, man, that is a tricky job. We're all messed up, more messed up than we're comfortable with inside. That's what you get when you read that. We all all know how base we can be. We all know how sinful we can be. I think Paul uses this word here, the sensual word, to go... I'm going to make sure you read this. 
2,000 years later in Cass. I'm going to make sure you don't go past this. We all know what we like, and we know that no matter what we do on the outside, we can't get through to that. The other thing it says to us, it says our advice tends to center on this world's happenings and events, the here and now, the visceral stuff. It does, doesn't it? So much of the advice that we give out will be like momentary, what's going on right now in front of you. Even as Christians, that's the kind of advice that we give. That's the kind of advice that we give other people. Just keep going, hang on in there, those, those sorts of bits of advice. And what it says to us in this passage is, for this advice to be good, for it to be helpful in the world that we live in, you've got to have an eye, not just on the superficial stuff, not just on getting everybody through, but have an eye on what, on deep inside the other person that you're talking to. Have an eye on that, have a concern for that. When you're giving out your advice, when you're having your chats on the schoolroom, when you're having your chats at work, think about, and man, this is deep, isn't it? You don't wanna hear this. Think about how you can help them not just superficially. Think on a deeper level. Think about how you can help them spiritually. That's what makes it good advice. Think about what Jesus does. So on the, on the face of it, you read through a lot of the stories that Jesus, a lot of the examples of Jesus, and it looks quite superficial stuff. His advice looks quite day-to-day stuff, but he always pierces the heart. Remember, remember the mob that had stones in hands ready to stone the woman who was caught in adultery. Remember, remember that mob? What does Jesus say? That the person without sin, with no sin, they can cast the first stone. They can throw the first stone. Why does he say that? Because adultery is all good? Because so long as you're a really good person, it's, not, it's okay if you stone somebody? That's, that's not what he was saying. Everybody that day, after Jesus gave that advice, quite simple advice, everybody had to go home and look at their own heart. The people that picked up the big stones, the people that were thinking about picking up the stones, the people that were wondering about what to do, the woman caught in adultery, everybody had to look inside their own heart. Remember the rich young ruler that thought about following Jesus? Jesus says to him, I want you to drop everything and follow me. Did Jesus say that? Because he had an aversion to money, or money's not necessary, or money's the great evil. No, he wanted to see what really drove this guy from the inside. That was great advice. When he told the disciples to fish on the other side of the boat, I think he was just having a laugh. I think he just really wanted fish for supper. He wanted to see in this unlikely circumstance that these human beings were willing to follow him from somewhere that was against all of the logic of the world and deep within their soul. That's the kind of advice that Jesus gave out. He saw the people, he saw their circumstance, but he always saw what was going on inside. That's good advice. That was his concern. That was his bother. The good life, it's not established in whatever you can pull off today. It's not established, it's not held together by your works. Sooner or later, sooner or later if that's where your faith is, sooner or later that'll come up short and you'll be exposed. It's rooted deep inside. That's where the good life is. It's, it's seeing the grace of God 
It's grasping the grace of God. It's realizing how amazing that story is. And that, that that motivation is so much better than trying to keep some rules or trying to keep up some appearance. That's where the good life is. The best advice you'll ever give to anybody will come when your concern is not for the superficial, easy, here and now things. It'll come when you see through your relationship with God what's going on deep inside. And it'll probably change how you give your advice as well.